What can you expect from an experienced financial advisor? Are all advisors alike? And will the right advisor really make a positive difference? Your Financial Journey is a podcast brought to you by Providence Wealth Advisors, LLC, a wholly owned affiliate of Providence Bank and Trust. In this series, members of the PWA team discuss the importance of planning, relevant developments, and investment strategies geared to help you achieve your wealth management goals and to provide you with experience, guidance, and support every step of the way. Hello, I'm Doug DeGroat, and I would like to welcome you to our March 2021 Providence Wealth Advisors or PWA podcast. With me today is Brian Granado, another advisor and trust officer here at Providence. I have worked with Brian since 2003, and he is very versed on some of the topics we would like to cover today. So I thought it would be beneficial to tap some of his wisdom. So welcome, Brian. With tax day right around the corner and financial literacy being focused on throughout the month of April, we thought this might be the perfect time to talk a bit about three topics we get asked about often. First of all, at this time of year, we get a lot of questions about taxes. And in most cases, it is how to reduce income taxes paid. In fact, I cannot remember any time in my career where a client has come to me and said, how can I pay more taxes? Brian, how about you? Do you ever hear that? I have not, Doug. So to take that a step further, we're starting to hear and read about potential income and estate tax increases coming out of Washington. So we'd like to touch on just a couple of those key items regarding taxes. The second topic we'd like to cover today is social security benefits. How to begin and when to begin. These are important questions asked by many of our clients. And finally, women and investing. We would like to touch briefly on how PWA is uniquely positioned to help our clients in this area. So with that said, let's start right off and begin with taxation of investments. And how are the returns on your investments going to be taxed? In other words, are your investment returns going to be taxed as ordinary income or as capital gains? And to take that a step further, your investment income may be tax deferred or tax exempt. We're going to try to address that as well. So Brian, why don't I turn it over to you at this point in time and you can talk us through some of these tax issues. Thanks, Doug. To start, we think individuals should have a general understanding of how the federal government taxes not only investment income, such as dividends and interest, but also realized capital gains and we'll touch on each of these. First, relating to dividends, companies pay dividends out of after-tax profits, which means Uncle Sam has already taken his cut. That's why shareholders get a slight break with maximum tax rates of 20% on qualified dividends. For non-qualified dividends, which are typically paid by foreign companies, they are taxed at regular income tax rates, which are typically higher. Regarding tax on interest from savings accounts, certificates of deposit, corporate bonds, etc., the federal government treats most interests as ordinary income, subject to tax at whatever marginal rate the investor pays. The exception is interest in bonds issued by U.S. states and municipalities, most of which are exempt from federal income tax. 
investors may get a break from state income taxes on interest as well. For example, U.S. Treasury securities are exempt from state income taxes, and most states do not tax interest on municipal bonds issued by in-state entities, which are essentially considered double-tax-exempt bonds. For example, the state of Illinois may issue a general obligation bond. An investor who resides in Illinois who purchases the bond will not pay tax on the interest at the federal and state levels. Investors subject to higher tax brackets often prefer to hold municipal bonds rather than other bonds in their taxable accounts, since the after-tax return to those investors is usually higher on these types of bonds. Finally, individuals also pay tax on any realized capital gain. In very simple terms, a capital gain occurs when you sell an asset more than you paid for it. The tax on realized capital gains depends how long an investor held the security. The tax rate on long-term gains, which is more than one year, is 0, 15, or 20%, depending on taxable income and filing status. Short-term realized capital gains, which is usually less than one year, are at regular income tax rates, which are typically higher. And just a caveat statement, the tax rates we are noting may change in the future with Washington's current administration. So, Doug, that about covers the basics. Did I miss anything? So, Brian, that's great. And that kind of walked us through, I think, some of the tax rates and how some of these investments are treated from a taxable perspective, both on the income side and the capital gain side. Um, However, one of the things that I was thinking about is maybe you could take us through what I'll call the next step and talk about tax deferred versus tax-free investments and maybe the difference in both of those and what does that mean? That's a great question. So we believe understanding the concept of tax deferred versus tax free is key to making good financial planning decisions. So most retirement accounts fall into two categories and it's important to know which ones are which. Tax deferred allows you to pay taxes later. In an effort to encourage individuals to save for their retirement, the government provides a tax incentive. Funds that you contribute to a retirement account won't be taxed until you withdraw the funds. The most common type of retirement accounts with this tax-deferred feature are IRAs, simple IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, and 457 plans, just to name a few. There are two main concepts that make these types of accounts attractive. First, individuals do not pay any taxes on dividends, interest, and realized capital gains generated within the account, which allow more of the funds to remain invested. This increases the effect of compounding returns and the building of your retirement account. The greater the number of years until retirement, the greater the benefit of the tax deferral. This is another reason to start saving early. Second, when you withdraw the funds during retirement, in theory, you'll owe less in taxes on the distribution. This again assumes you will be in a lower tax bracket during retirement than you were when you originally made the contributions. Tax deferred is not to be confused with tax deductible. When you invest in a traditional IRA, the assumption is that you deducted the contribution from income. As a result, withdrawals from traditional IRAs are 100% taxable as income. The rationale for this is that those funds were never taxed. We should note 
as well, that taking a deduction from income or reducing your salary through 401k or 403b contributions will give you the biggest bang for your buck. And probably the least and most underutilized form of taxation for retirement accounts are those that are tax-free. This form allows an individual to make contributions to a retirement account and receive the same benefits of tax-deferred accounts while the money is invested. These accounts are Roth IRAs and 401k and 403b plans with Roth features. However, there is one big difference. With a tax-free account, you pay no taxes when the funds are taken out during retirement. This is in contrast to a tax-deferred account where you pay income tax on any amount distributed to you from the account. The key point to understand about tax-free accounts is that they don't offer an immediate tax benefit like deductible IRA contributions and salary contributions to a 401k, 403b, or simple plan. As, as we mentioned before, with these tax-deferred plans, you are reducing your income tax liability for the year in which the contributions are made, thus reducing your tax bill. With the tax-free with tax-free accounts like Roth IRAs and company retirement plans with Roth features, contributions are made after tax. So you don't get an immediate income tax savings, but you do get the tax-free growth as well as tax-free distributions. If you are specifically planning and saving for future college expenses, a 529 plan is built especially for this. Future withdrawals from the 529 plan will be tax-free if they are used on qualified education expenses. In addition, while the funds are invested in the account, they aren't subject to tax either. However, individuals should be aware that if the funds aren't used for qualified educational expenses, the amount attributable to earnings will be subject to taxes and penalties. Finally, it's worth noting health savings accounts or HSAs, which provide a powerful incentive due to their unique tax benefits because they allow a tax deduction on the front end and are tax-free upon withdrawal. Contributions made to an HSA are tax deductible. If an employer makes contributions on your behalf, those contributions are excluded from your taxable income. If you make contributions, they are a deduction. Interest and other earnings on your investments are tax exempt. That means no 1099 at the end of the year. Lastly, withdrawals made to cover qualified healthcare expenses can be made tax-free. It's like a triple tax benefit and it's a powerful way to save. Basically, tax-deferred and tax-free are both important components of a strong financial foundation. We think understanding these concepts result in the better decisions about your retirement now and in the future. Doug? That's great, Brian. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of information here and a lot of things that may change uh, in the future, depending on tax rates or taxation of some of these uh, items. But uh, this was very helpful. Um, one of the things we did not cover in a lot of detail are estate taxes for both federal and potentially the state of Illinois, for those of you that are domiciled in the state of Illinois. This also is a very complex area and obviously is affected by how large your estate is. It's also an area that is under scrutiny with the current administration and most likely one that will be potentially changed over the next few years. Just today, in fact, there was information from the Biden administration that the current exemption, which is the amount that can pass a state tax-free at death of $11.7 million today, might be reduced to $3.5 million. In addition, the step-up basis to date-of-death values for assets 
might be eliminated, which would also have the potential to drastically increase taxes owed at death. We would suggest you continue to monitor what is occurring with the estate tax situation through your attorney, accountant, or you can reach out to one of us here at Providence Wealth Advisors for an update. So moving on from here, we want to address some of the key features of Social Security benefits. Brian, I'll once again turn it over to you for your wisdom on this topic. Thanks, Doug. And as you mentioned, this is a huge topic with a lot of information. So we're just going to provide a very broad overview of Social Security and some things to consider. Social Security reaches almost every family and at some point touches the lives of nearly all Americans. Social Security helps older Americans, workers who become disabled, and families in which a spouse or parent dies. Social Security was never meant to be the only source of income for people when they retire. Social Security replaces a percentage of a worker's pre-retirement income based on your lifetime earnings. The current Social Security system works like this. When you work, you pay taxes into Social Security. The tax money then pays benefits to people who are already retired, people who are disabled, survivors of workers who have died, and dependents of beneficiaries. The money you pay in taxes isn't held in a personal account for you to use when you get benefits. Your taxes are used to pay people who are getting benefits right now. Any unused money goes to Social Security trust funds, not a personal account with your name on it. As you work and pay taxes, you earn Social Security credits. In 2021, you earn one credit for each $1,470 in earnings, up to a maximum of four credits per year. Most people need 40 credits, which is about 10 years of work to qualify for benefits. Choosing when to start re receiving benefits is one of the most important decisions you'll make in your lifetime. If you choose to start receiving benefits when you reach full retirement age, you will receive your full benefit amount. Full retirement age ranges from the age of 66 to 67, depending on your birth year. If you begin your benefits before reaching full retirement age, your benefit amount will be reduced. The earliest you can begin receiving benefits is at age 62. You can also choose to keep working beyond your full retirement age. If you do, your benefit will increase from the time you reach full retirement age until you start receiving benefits or until you reach the age of 70. You can continue to work and still receive retirement benefits. If you work but start receiving benefits before full retirement age, your, your benefits will be reduced by $1 for each $2 in earnings you have above the annual limit. In 2021, the limit is $18,960. However, in the year you reach full retirement age, your benefits are reduced by $1 for every three you earn over a different annual limit of $50,000. $520 in 2021. And once you reach full retirement age, you can keep working with no reduction in your social security benefit, no matter how much you earn. Delaying your social security benefits can increase your monthly payment amount. If you wait until age 66, your payments may be as much as 30% higher than if you start claiming early at 62. If you wait until age 70, which is the maximum, the monthly payments are at least 75% more and if you start claiming at age 62. So there's three factors to consider. How long are you planning to work, marital status, and health and family medical history. You should apply for benefits about four months before the date you want your benefits to start. You can apply for benefits on the Social Security website at www.ssa.gov 
forward slash benefits forward slash retirement. If you have a My Social Security account, you can get an estimate of your personal retirement benefits and see the effects of different retirement age scenarios. You can create an account at www.ssa.gov forward slash my account. And you can also get the detailed benefit calculations at www.ssa.gov forward slash benefits forward slash calculators. So there's the quick and skinny Doug of Social Security. So Brian, I know um, we get to ask this question a lot. And in fact, I was out with some clients last night who have raised the issue with me, but it's always how soon or when should I begin taking my Social Security benefits? And I guess my my answer is, and, and I, I don't mean this flippantly or as a, as a joke, but it, I, my response is typically, tell me how long you're going to live. Because really, in a nutshell, um, that's the key component of whether it's good to take benefits early or later. And I know you walked us through some of these, the the pluses and minuses of going early and later as far as the, the potential loss in income or increase in income. But depending on life expectancy, th- those may be irrelevant. So I know that really seems to me to be the key issue. Am I thinking properly with that? That's exactly right. That's the crux of the whole question of when to start claiming your benefits. So, and if everybody knew that, it would be a crystal clear answer. But unfortunately, we those are a lot of variables out there and we just don't know when we're going to pass away. Right. So I think um, what we would probably encourage people to do, it would seem to me again, is going to one of these calculators and trying to walk through the process, at least if you're trying to, to determine uh, as to the timing for yourself, that's a good place to start because those calculators will help, help you see whether the amount you're getting at, let's call it age 65, whether it might be worth deferring until age 70. You can really see those hard numbers on that calculator. Is that correct? That's correct. And I think sometimes that's certainly a good, good uh, process, I'd say, to walk through just to get some visuals and have a good understanding of what these various scenarios would equate to from um, your actual monthly benefit. Good. That's great. So there's a lot of information there again. And I just as Brian and I were talking, I think going to that SSA, the www.ssa.gov website is a good place to start for anyone because you can see uh, your history of contributions into Social Security, and then you can see your run different scenarios for your benefits. So we would encourage everyone to, to start with that. Um, so kind of moving on from there, we said we wanted to touch on three topics. Um, so we feel Providence Wealth Advisors is uniquely qualified to serve women. Um, And not only do we serve many women who are single or widowed, but we do encounter uh, many couples that leave financial matters to the husband, which is fine. However, that can create some confusion if the husband passes away first. Throughout our careers, we've seen many cases where a husband passes away and the widow, unfortunately, has no knowledge of the family's financial affairs. By proper planning, when all parties are alive and they have their facilities, this scenario can be avoided. And at least for the couple's financial affairs, matters can be much smoother for the survivor. I know in my career, I've seen some very successful plans that benefit either spouse in the event of a death and some that didn't work the best 
when one of those spouses had no knowledge of how finances were handled. So whether you're married, single, widowed, or just want to be more informed and aware of how your savings and investments are being managed, we have many resources available within Providence Wealth Advisors. In addition to having several investment advisors and trust officers who are women, we have many other resources available to inform and educate all types of investors. We feel that we are uniquely qualified to assist women investors, even though there are two men hosting this podcast, not only for women, but for anyone, regardless of age or position in life, our website, www.providencewealth.com, contains a great deal of helpful information. Our advisor blog and resources page offer advice, easy-to-use financial calculators, and plenty of helpful articles on everything from savings basics to preparing for life events, such as retirement planning or buying a home. We also make plenty of relevant content available on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So follow us on social media. It's an easy way to stay informed on timely topics. Finally, members of our Providence Wealth Advisor team are always available to help you. Whether you need information on your investment accounts or simply have a question about anything related to your financial life. Thanks for listening. We will talk again soon. Providence Wealth Advisors, LLC, or PWA is a wholly owned affiliate of Providence Bank and Trust, or PB&T. The investment products and services offered by PWA are independent of the products and services offered by PB&T and are not FDIC insured, may lose value, are not bank guaranteed, and are not insured by any federal or state government agency. Investment products and services are offered by appropriately licensed investment advisor representatives, subject to the general oversight and authority of PWA. PWA is an SEC-registered investment advisor company. To obtain a copy of their ADV Part 2A and Form CRS, visit www.providencewealth.com. PWA is located throughout the Chicagoland area and Northwest Indiana. To contact PWA, call 888-927-7387, email askexperts at providencewealth.com, or write to 20220 South LaGrange Road, Frankfort, Illinois, 60423.